Greetings all of God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph, we're now in uh, lesson 75, and last time we were in the book of Luke, chapter 2, and I think we finished with uh, verse 29, anyway, let's uh, recap the story here in verse 26, uh, speaking about, uh, well actually in, uh, in verse 25, and behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, or Simeon, Shimon in Hebrew, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that's exactly what all the men of God have been waiting for, the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Israel, because they knew, as all the prophets have said and stated, from the beginning until the end, and so the disciples also taught them and never deviated from that, that there is only salvation to Israel, and through Israel all the nations of the earth. In other words, all of them always understood that the church, whenever you speak about the church, they're speaking only about one single entity, not another foreign entity that claimed to be the true one and then deceived the whole world to believe that there is Israel on one side and there is church on the other side. Anyway, we're going to repeat that several times because when you talk about 2,000 years of deception, it takes an awful lot of time to reorient the mind to begin to think straight and properly and to come out of Babylon. It's not an easy uh, task for any one of us. Anyway, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So it's not something that somebody is uh, inventing on his own mind, uh, on his own. We can see that God is the one constantly behind it, directing the words, directing the statements, and inspiring his people, and causing these things to be recorded. And he had never done anything else. Never, ever did he ever do that. Men claim that he did. But then, as Paul said, but God be true and every man a liar, and there have been an awful lot of liars out there, and many have been deceived by them and sincerely believing that it's true. Anyway, in verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's anointed, that is, the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit, in other words, inspired by the Spirit of God, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, the Torah, you see people who are obedient to the Torah of God have never deviated from it, and for that matter it's not only in the beginning of the book that you read it, in terms of uh, the book of Luke, or uh, Mark, or Matthew, or whatever, or John, but also the end. So in the beginning until the end of this so-called New Testament, you can see the Torah is always there on the mouth of the servants of God. And verse 28, we read, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, in other words, gave thanks to God. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Speaking about the child who symbolizes the salvation that is coming to whom? To the church, to Israel. The consolation to Israel, the atonement for Israel, the deliverance for Israel. That's what Isaiah made very plain in, uh, in many statements, many scriptures, inspired by God, and then ultimately in uh, Isaiah 53. That's what they are all talking about. There has never been any other entity that came in between, or a new one. Verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples. A lie to bring revelation to the nations, to the Gentiles, that is, and the glory of your people, 
Israel. See, Israel is in the center always of the plan of God. Jesus Christ, the head of the body, and Israel is the body, the church, the wife, the people, and through that, through that marriage, through that relationship, come all the rest of the nations. And that's the way the story has been from the beginning of time. And that's the reason why God condemns the false church, the counterfeit church that deceived the whole world. And that's why it's going to bring utter destruction. And the whole book of Revelation is specifically aimed at that counterfeit system. And in specific, the religious system that deceived the whole world. Verse 34, well actually in verse uh, 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. That is, of their son. And God made it very plain from the beginning until, until the end that this is going to happen. And some people still marveled. And some still do to this very day. And an awful lot of people don't even believe it anymore. But believe a lie. In verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary and his mother, Behold, this child, speaking about Jesus, Yeshua, that was his name, as a matter of fact, uh, Yeshua, the one that became the savior of mankind probably never heard anybody ever call him Jesus. Anyway, that's a different language. Uh, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. And so, Israel as a whole will be saved. Yet there are going to be those who are going to reject Jesus Christ and his coming and are going to reject him uh, what is coming again, the second time. This time is a, gro- a glorious, anointed Savior and Deliverer and Messiah and Conqueror. And there will be those two again that will reject it, not believing it. And so this is what he's talking about. For the past 2,000 years, people have rejected him. And for those who lived in the past and have totally rejected God, their Savior, the Deliverer, they're going to be in that category. But all those who are written in the Book of Life for the children of Israel will be in that marriage supper. Some spiritual, the majority physical. And most of them, at least the adults who are repentant, will be receiving the Holy Spirit too. So you still have that church that has been as it was from the beginning of time. Partly spiritual, mostly physical, and now only different, that all of them are going to be obedient to God and the laws of God will be written in their hearts and the Spirit will be in them. And so it's going to be quite different than the one that was in Sinai. Yet, the same people, the same church, the same wife, the same husband, the same Lord. And this is a story from the beginning until the end. And yet people took a detour and went somewhere else. And many of us, unfortunately, are still there, thinking that they are on the right track. And let's continue now with... uh, with the next verse, we're going now to chapter 2 and verse 36. We continue the story about another person that is testifying to the same reality of the church of God. Verse 36, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. In other words, there were many of the children of Israel of the other tribes. Uh, we don't know exactly how many, but there, there were several of them. Maybe thousands, maybe hundreds, we don't know exactly. But we know that many of the children of Israel were still obedient to this very day, you know, at this time that we're talking about. That is 
speaking about uh, about 600 years, 700 years actually after their captivity into Assyria. Many joined the house of Judah because they were still obedient to the God of Israel. They knew who they are, uh, you know, they knew who they were at the time, and it was not uh, a mystery, and it became as time went by. Anyway, this was from the tribe of Asher, one of the children of Israel. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seventy or seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And what did she do it for? She was waiting for the redemption of her own people, of the wife that went astray. She was waiting for the husband to come and take her back by atoning for her with his own body, with his own life, and redeeming her with, by, you know, with his own blood, by cleansing her and purging her. And that's what Christ was talking about. I will build my church. I will build my wife. The one that went astray. The one that the shepherds led astray. That is torn in all directions. He said, I'm going to build it. In today's language, we use the word rebuild. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Eternal, speaking about the Father, and spoke of him to all those uh, who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So that's where the redemption was coming to, because that's what the prophet said. It was coming to the people of Israel, and Jerusalem is uh, symbolic of all the whole nation, of the church, of the wife. And so this is the what? Jerusalem is the church. Symbolic of the nation, and Israel is the church, the person. And this is another testimony to the fact that the people of God, the church of God, is and was the same, and will be the same. There has never been any change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then we continue now with the story in uh, chapter 3, where we read, now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, and so forth. And verse 2, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, they were rotating the priesthood, the word of the Eternal, or the word of Elohim, God, came, in other words, speaking about the Father, the word of the Father came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. But this time, mind you, the one that was dealing with Israel, the Eternal of Israel, the Jehovah of Israel, was alive in the flesh. And so the one who is communicating now with John, obviously, is the Father. Verse 3, And he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. Why? He's preparing the wife. As God told Moses, before the day comes of the wedding, so to speak, in Mount Sinai, I want you to go down and tell the people, the children of Israel, to wash your clothes, to wash your garments, come clean before me. In other words, when you come before God, you come with a garment of righteousness. At that time, the children of Israel were asked only to do the physical things, wash their body and wash their clothes. But before the coming of the Redeemer of Israel, to have a spiritual relationship with his wife, they needed to be washed from within. And so... John the Baptist was sent for that very purpose. This time to prepare the wife of God, the Israel of God, 
for a spiritual relationship, and that's the reason for the repentance first, and the baptism and the washing. So baptism is not a new doctrine. Some people think it all started in the New Testament 2,000 years ago. Well, that's because of blindness and ignorance. Baptism is an ancient religion, ancient doctrine, that is, ancient teaching. has been from the beginning of time. And the prophets always spoke about that, you know, wash your garments, you know, cleanse yourself and all that. And that's what the children of Israel did when they went through uh, the Red Sea. That's what Paul said. The children of Israel were baptized into Moses by the cloud in, in the waters. So here it is, the baptizing this time of repentance of sins, forgiveness, that is, repentance from sins, and still without the Holy Spirit, and then Christ was going to give him the Spirit, and the baptism would, be, would have been now spiritual. And a continuous one, until man becomes perfect. And so this is what he went. He was baptizing many. He was preaching the baptism of repentance. Because that was all that was given to him. That, that function that Moses was given before Mount Sinai occurred to go and tell the people, command the people to wash themselves. And so in verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the eternal. Some people say, and a lot of people are confused today, people that should have known better and have known better, they say, well, is God uh, the one that came in the flesh? Is he the son of God? Is he God the son? You find statement after statement after statement, making it very plain. And the blind, well, let them remain blind if this is what they choose to be, and there is no reason to argue with people like that. I think it's a waste of time, of uh, energy and all that, what people are going through nowadays, and just in the past two years, the great controversy supposedly within the churches of God about the deity, uh, about the identity of Christ, and about his being a deity or not. Scripture is very plain. Prepare the way of the eternal, of Jehovah. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of Elohim, of God. So speaking specific about the children of Israel and then as the church is being founded again here spiritually, now it can be a light to the nations. And that's exactly what happened. And this is just the beginning of the process. It's not over yet. And this is exactly what happened. And so people came to him to be baptized. And then we continue the, the story in uh, chapter 4, verses 16 and 19, to 19, that is. And we read, about Jesus Christ this time. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, as his custom, all of his life, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today forever, he didn't come up with a new religion, same from now, let's keep Sunday. And people today who call themselves still the people of God, they claim, well, Sabbath is not for Christians. Well, if Sabbath is not for Christians, then Jesus Christ was not a Christian. He was a Jew. The Sabbath is for the Jews. And God said, the salvation is of the Jews. And if you do not become a Jew, you are not of Christ. It's as simple as that. And so the Sabbath 
is of the eternal to those who worship him in truth and in spirit. And those who claim that it's not for Christians to begin with are not followers of Christ. They're heretics. They can call themselves whatever, whatever they want. God plainly calls them liars. And so Christ, the Savior, the God of Israel, who does not change, the husband who is going to marry his wife Israel, as is custom, according to the law that he himself received from the Father and gave it on Mount Sinai to his wife, to Israel, as is custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, on Shabbat, and stood up to read. Why? Because that's a custom, that's what you do in the synagogue. We unfortunately lost, totally, and totally lost, the knowledge of how to conduct a service on the Sabbath. And it's very unfortunate. We were too proud and too arrogant and too haughty to go to the community that still preserved the knowledge of how you keep a service on the Sabbath. We come before God, you sing before God, you worship God, you, you, you uh, honor God, you praise God with songs and, and hymns and all that as it was done in the synagogue, which was copied from the temple. And then you read the Torah, you read the prophets. And the way it was, as it is done to this very day, and has not changed uh, since the days of Christ to this very day, uh, the first one that rises up to read the Torah is the priest. In other words, he must be from the priesthood. The second one must be a Levite. And then five of the men of Israel are allowed to come and read their portions. And after that, there is a, a one that concludes the whole reading. And so you see a congregation uh, that is a body of witnesses, the wife of God, participating in the service. Because the Sabbath is meant for men, meant for God made for his people, made for his wife, made for this relationship. And people that have lost that don't even know how to conduct a service. And unfortunately, what we have today is anything but a service, and uh, that is a worship service. We have today a lecture service. We have sort of, you know, a few songs that we sing to God, and uh, it's almost, in some, some cases, like a lip service. And now, you know, let's get over with that and do our own thing, speak our own words. You know, throw some scriptures here and there. That was not God's way, nor God's service. Anyway, let's continue. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Why? Because after the reading of the, of the Torah, then you read the prophets. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. See, everything happened because Israel still preserved the way they were not perfect. They were confused here and there. Uh, their own do's and don'ts, but still they basically preserved the way of God and the Torah of God and the prophets. And much that was already there was of God and then also addition of their own. And some people like to uh, just brand the Jews as ignorant and blind and deceived and knew nothing and they totally lost it and you hear all these comments and they all come from men of ignorance and not men of learning, unfortunately. And so this is what was happening here, and therefore Christ could have done all these things. That's why he came to his own. And that's why he brought them to his own land. And that's why he, he gave them uh, leaders that would bring them back to the way of God, to the religion of God. And all those things were happening for a purpose. This was the wife of God. And so verse 18, the spirit of the eternal is upon me. This is what he read, because he, was, he has anointed me to preach the good news, the tidings, Later on, it would change to gospel. Sounds 
you know, different than uh, the original, and that was the intent. We don't want to have anything to do with the past, with the history of Israel, with the prophets of Israel, with the terminology of Israel, and the terminology that was given to Israel by God. You know, we're going to invent our own words. And so the gospel entered into the, uh, the dictionary of the counterfeit church. And so this is what we read in the English. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the eternal. You see, the coming of the eternal, that's himself. So he's coming to his own people. And all these people that he's talking about here, the captives and the blind and those who are in prison and everything else and brokenhearted, he's speaking about his own people. That's why he said, I can, I'm going to build my church because look what the prophets have done to it. And look what the prophets have done today to the churches of God, to the people of God. And we are, we are you know, square one, as we were at that time. We need to come out of Babylon because many of us are being founded on lies. Many lies. Not only few. We've been affected by what we've been drinking all this time, not realizing where we're getting it from. And so, verse 20, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So, this gives you an, an, a clue and an idea about how things are are uh, down in, in the synagogue. That's the way it was meant to be. The church, the wife of God, comes before him and, and singing and, and uh, chanting and uh, all those things that people did to serve God and honor God and praise God, you know, with hymns and songs and things like that. And the reading of his law, not man's pontification about his law, and the reading of the prophets, and then there is a, an explanation and a discourse there. And that's the way it happened. There was never any need for it to be changed. And this is what he told them. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, until this point. But what happens later on, the deliverance that is going to bring them, that comes at his glorious coming at the end of times. And the story continues. Let's go now to, uh, well, basically what he was reading here is from Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61, remember, he was sent to bring a message to Judah and Jerusalem. And so, this is exactly what the one who inspired him to speak those words. He came to Judah and to Jerusalem, and he spoke to them those things that he inspired Isaiah to tell them. You see the constant link there, you know, between God and his church and his wife and his people, Israel, and no one else. And then... Later on, the ones that he's going to graft into Israel, into the commonwealth of Israel, not invent a new organization, a new church, totally different and apart and a separate entity, and as that lie has been gradually being taught as time went by. And that's why the apostles were, de you know, they're decrying, you know, that the heresy that was entering into the church, the rise of the mystery of iniquity of the counterfeit church. And we were born into it, unfortunately, overwhelming majority of us and just believe those lies thinking that they came from God. Instead of reading the word for ourselves from the beginning until the end and knowing the story as God told it, the history of his own church. So let's go now to chapter 7, verses 11 to 17, where we shall read the continuation of the story. Now it happened 
the day after that he went into the city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. In other words, he happened to come on a funeral procession. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the, the Lord, the Lord here means Adon, and Adon is a name that is given only to God, so just by the mere fact that they called him Adon, we already see here that in essence they use the word that is used for God, Adon. That's why he said, don't call anybody else Adon, because they have only one Adon, and he's in heaven. And he's not just a teacher. So when the Adon saw her, or the Lord, he had compassion on her, and say to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the, the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And again, this is the husband of Israel speaking to one of the members of his own wife. Always look at it from the point of view as God told it. And people who read the New Testament never think that way. You know, it sounds so foreign to them. This is the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, speaking to a member of his church, of his wife. And so he has compassion on her. He never forsaken her. Verse 15, So he who, he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. And so even though because of sin, and you can see many of us uh, raising from the dead, that they have a purpose. Even though Israel was dead because of sins, God is constantly showing that he's going to bring his wife back to, to life. And that's how he's going to build her. He's going to bring her, bring her back to life. Not, uh, not only physically, which is going to bring all of Israel back to life and give them the spirit, atone for their sins and take them to himself, as in the days of old, as he said many times through the prophets. He's doing it as an example throughout his ministry. So that all may know that he is their God and they are his people. And so he said through the prophets many times that when he brings back all the captivity of Israel and performs all the signs and wonders in their sight, all the mighty deeds, the deliverance and all these things and destroying of the nations that come against them, he said many times again and again and again, then you will know that I am the eternal because Israel forgot her God. Yet God has not forgotten his wife his people, his church, and he will never let her go. And so, this is an example for it, and a reason for it, and some people don't understand what is really happening, and what's really behind it, and what's the purpose of it. So, in verse 15, we read, So he, will, he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God, speaking about Elohim, has visited his people. You see, they were inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit, to speak that way. There was never any other message, any other church, any other preaching. And this report about him went throughout all Judea, not Palestine, and all the surrounding region. You see how confused people get? And then they take it for granted, that's what it is. And then even when you tell them the truth, they still insist on following lies and believing lies. And this is just one little one of them. To call the name of the land of God, Palestine. Land of the invaders, that's what it means. 
instead of the land of Israel or the land of Judea because the people of Judah were there the land of the overcomers and we continue the story now in, chap- in uh, again chapter 7 we go to verse 24 where we read and when the messengers of John had departed he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John in other words this was a time when John was in, uh, in prison and he wanted to know and that's unfortunately what happens even to the greatest among us when we're in affliction, in tribulation, and we don't see deliverance, we begin to doubt. And unfortunately, that's exactly what was happening to John. And so God had to remind him, the one that came is, is the Lamb of God, that he is truly the one, because he's doing what all the prophets said that he was going to be doing. And verse 23, he said, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And so many today that have known the Savior, that have known him for all their lives at times, that have believed that he is one and maybe even were healed personally, are turning away their back on him. Yet Christ said, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And many are offended because of him and will yet be offended and leave the faith. And when people go and go away to a counterfeit religion and don't believe anymore in the Sabbath and many other things like that, that's what they are doing. Oh, they think that they follow Christ. God says, no, you are being offended of me. That's the reason why you do not want to follow me and follow my religion. What a surprise are going to have in the future. And so, verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously uh, appareled, Attired, that is, and live in luxury, are in king's courts. And oftentimes, that's what you see. People, you know, who enter into or ascend to those high offices and religious uh, organizations, that's the first thing they go for. Luxury. You know, self-indulgence. Lots of money. Big, beautiful houses. And uh, everything that goes along with it. That's the kind of prophets that the world has. But the prophets of God were not that type of people. Verse 26. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I said to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And speaking about the message that God gave to Malachi. Malachi means my messenger, my angel. It's the same word. And so... The messenger was sent to the wife, to Israel. And this John is the one. And he came preparing her to be baptized for the washing of sins. And later on, be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, For I said to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Yohanan Hamadil in Hebrew. But he who is least in the kingdom of God, is greater than he. And if John is the greatest man who was ever born, what does it mean to be greater than John? It's not speaking about an angel. It's speaking about somebody more than an angel. When you enter into the family of God, and that too offends people nowadays. So many were being offended by that, this doctrine and teaching of God, and they the depart back into the counterfeit religion, thinking that they are enlightened. How can you be enlightened with darkness? 
And then we continue the story in uh, verse 29. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, acknowledged God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. They were too proud to acknowledge that they too were sinful. And it was pride. As the proverb says, before the fall comes pride. They were too proud to acknowledge their wickedness. And so they were not about to be baptized, even though they knew that he is from God. And you see what pride does to people. And there are too many people today who are going to be proud to acknowledge that they've been in error, that they lived in sin, that they were being taught lies, or that they were being, that they were, themselves were teaching lies. And pride would prevent them from acknowledging what they read and what they hear from God himself and his servants, the prophets, as they wrote from the time of old, you know, from Abraham to John, the book of Revelation, all speaking about the identity of the church of God, the wife of God, the people of God, and all the other doctrines that go along with it. Because when you understand that, you realize that your theology were not the theology of God, but man-made. A deceived form of theology, a counterfeit theology, trying to get as close as possible to the truth, using a lot of scriptures, but that's a way of Satan. You know, he appears as an angel of light. And his ministers appear as ministers of righteousness, and they're not about to acknowledge that they were liars and false prophets. And that's exactly what was happening here. That's why Christ said, all those who came before me were thieves and robbers. He's speaking about the spiritual leaders. They rob the truth of my people and they rob, they rob also their possessions so they can live in luxury. But the prophets of God don't live that way. And this is not what they're after. And so, verse 31, And the Eternal said, that is the Lord, the Adon, it's not the Eternal, it's the Lord, the Adon, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? Like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. In other words, you go to people that live in sin and are too proud to acknowledge it. No matter how much truth you give them, no matter what you show them, no matter what you do, they'll always gainsay that and reject it. So they can maintain their own righteousness. And that was, unfortunately, the problem of some or many of the leaders of the sect of the Pharisees always not necessarily the problem of the followers because many of them as a matter of fact most of them followed Jesus Christ and before that John and after that the disciples many of them did but the leaders were not about to acknowledge their lies and deception and so this is what he said for John the Baptist in verse 33 came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-beaver, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. And that's unfortunately was the state of the wife of God, because of the leaders that lead the church astray. And unfortunately to this very day they're still doing it. That's what Jesus Christ said. Many shall come to my name. That's the thing that should be worried about the most. Not, you know, the destruction of the temple, all these stones. No prophecy. 
all these things are important. But I said the most important thing you should be aware of is the deception. And it is still happening to this very day. He says, many shall come in my name saying that I'm the Christ and teach an awful lot of things about Christ. Have a lot of knowledge. You listen to many people who are ministers in the counterfeit church. They have a lot of knowledge. Much knowledge. You can learn an awful lot of things from them. And most of them are sincere people. But Christ said, nevertheless, they're going to deceive many. And it's very convenient to say, well, that's not speaking about us. Well, somebody who does not, who cannot see who is blind, he's not going to acknowledge that he's blind, and therefore he's not going to acknowledge that's speaking about me. He'll say, well, that's talking about other people in a way out there, but not us. We're all righteous. Okay. If we're in accordance with the word of God from the beginning until the end, fine, we have nothing to fear. But if we are not, as Paul said, he who thinks that he stands, take heed, lest he fall. And so far from the scriptures from the beginning until the end, as we shall continue, we don't see people who claim that God put down Israel and picked up the church so there are people who know the truth. But people who really stand up, they don't stand up. The scripture makes it very plain that they don't stand up. They fall flat on their face with all the lies that they've been teaching all this time. So let's continue the story now in... Uh, In chapter 8 and verse 26, chapter 8, 26, then they sailed to the country, speaking about the, the disciples of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee, that is the Sea of Galilee, which was today, you would call it in, uh, in Jordan. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in the house, but in the tombs. And verse 27, And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, this is what we read, nor did he live in the house, but in the tombs. In other words, Christ now is going to a Gentile territory. And notice what is going to happen in this Gentile territory, what Christ does and what Christ doesn't do. And verse 28, And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High God? And not just an ordinary son. Some people said, well, he was a son of God. Well, every one of us is a son of God, and we're all in the same category. Now he's speaking about the son of Elohim. The son of Elohim is Elohim. My, you know, if I have a son, uh, my son is, is a human being just like I am. And so he was the son of the Most High God, and the demon recognized that. The demon had more wisdom, more knowledge and understanding than those who claim to be people of God. Let's say that God is not manifested in the flesh, and he's not a deity, he's just a man. And you hear that too much from some people that used to be walking in the faith. Anyway, this demon knew better. He said, You are the Son of the Most High God, and I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and so forth. And so, anyway, he drove the, the demon out, and Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, or many of them, because many demons had entered into him. And this is a story that happened not only to the Gentiles that were around the children of Israel, and you could see what, what the demons like to inhabit 
they like to be in the, in the midst of the people of Israel, in the midst of the people of God. And the story is no different today. There are people in our midst who are not too careful as they should be, and being sincere, thinking that they're doing right, thinking that they may have a relationship with God, and we have to be very careful what this unclean spirit can do to us when we are in that state of mind. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And so, there are a lot of them there. And there were many also among the people of Israel that also had demons in them. And this is one of the main things that Jesus Christ was doing in cleansing his wife, removing the unclean spirit from her. And he's describing his church today also as being inflicted and afflicted by that unclean spirit. That's why it says come out of Babylon, because when you are a part of it, you're going to have a lot of unclean spirits, seducing spirits among you, and deceivers, and liars, and false prophets, and false doctrines. You have to totally come out of it to be in, in the clean. And then, the devil will resist, you know, will, uh, that is, when you resist the devil, he will flee from you, but not when you insist on being a part of the Babylonian system, thinking that you are in the faith, in the light. And so they begged him that he would not command them to go out into their beasts. And now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. And some people say today, well, in the old days Israel didn't have a fridge, so they couldn't uh, get a swine and stick it in the fridge and keep it fresh. And so God says, don't eat swine. Well, the same story goes for a cow also, and a lamb. So it doesn't make sense, you know, this argument. But today they say, we can eat swine. Well, these are the Gentiles who grew swine. And the children of Israel, it is known... For centuries, by historic records, that's one of the things that they, they, they were not eating. And we're speaking about the ten tribes of Israel as they went into captivity. They still kept this custom that they had known from the scriptures for a long, long time. And so they were not raising swine. They would not allow that in their borders. And here the Gentiles having, having swine. And this, you know, the, there were many swine and they, they were feeding on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter into them. In other words, if they were a herd of sheep there, he probably would not have allowed that. But for the swine, well, unclean into unclean uh, was okay. And so the demons went out and went into the swine, and guess what happened? They all fell down into, into, the, into the water and drowned. And in essence, Christ knew exactly what was going to happen, and obviously he's not approving when I think about it, because of the teaching that he gave Israel, he does not approve of people eating swine, not even the Gentiles. And so, there you see, uh, sort of a, a side point to explain a state of mind. A state of mind that there is a law of God, and the law of God determines what you eat and what you don't eat, and those who don't, well, are going to be cursed. And this was a curse for the people. They lost a whole herd of swine which unfortunately they were eating, instead of eating what God said men should eat from the days of the Garden of Eden. Anyway, we'll continue. And when those who fed them saw that what had happened, they fled and told in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid instead of being awed by it and give thanks to God and give glory to God as the children of Israel have always often done 
As a matter of fact, always done when they've seen Christ performing a miracle, they give glory to God and justify God. Speaking about the humble among them, not the haughty and arrogant. These people were afraid because they were not of God. And now they were Gentiles and were not about to, uh, to follow God either or to obey his Torah. So they were afraid. And when we disobey God, we better be afraid. Verse 36, and they also had seen, and uh, they also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had seen demon possessed was healed. The demon possessed. In other words, the people that saw it fled and told the city. Instead of the city coming and, and glorifying this uh, men of God, they were afraid. That was their chance to hear the good news, the tidings, and they rejected it. Verse 37. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the gatherings asked him to depart from them. Instead of accepting the wholesome, glorious act of God and hearing the word of God, they were not about to hear it. For they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. And so... You can see that they have an opportunity to hear the word of God and they reject it. And to begin with, God was not about to deal with the Gentiles at this point anyway because of their attitude. They were still in the swine mood and mode and state of mind. And people like that cannot come to God and God is not going to go to them either. And then we continue in verse 38. Now the man, and mind you, this man was a Gentile. He was not an Israelite that he healed and removed the demon from him. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. In other words, he wanted to be his disciple. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God had done for you, Elohim. In other words, don't give the glory and credit to men. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city, speaking about a Gentile city, so... Christ was not going to go to them because of their attitude, but he allowed this man who was a faithful person now because of what happened to him, though being a Gentile, to go and proclaim the good news. We shall stop at this point. This is Mordecai Joseph singing again, greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.